Sorry I'm late, everyone. It's all right. The meeting's just getting started. Are you in your closet? Yeah, it's the quietest place. Ooh, ah, not the roomiest, though. Getting closer with your closet these days? That uh, dinosaur costume behind you? What? No. <laughs> the Container Store's custom closet sale is here to help with up to 25% off closet systems and free virtual in-home closet design. Who wants Sean to put on the dino suit? Really, guys? The Container Store, where space comes from. At Zenni, you get the same quality frame and lens options that you'd get from an optician for one-tenth of the price, including blue blockers, progressives, prescription sunglasses, and more. The best part? Try on any frame, anywhere, with our 3D virtual try-on. Zenni.com. Eyewear for everyone. You are about to enter the Shockwave Skull Sessions podcast on shockwaveskullsessions.com. And now your host, Bob Nalbandian. Greetings, ladies and gents, and welcome to another episode of the Shockwave Skull Sessions podcast, episode number 56, and my special co-host this week is none other than good friend and frequent guest of the podcast, Chris Aiken, who, of course, many of you know as the host of the Classic Mental Show, as well as author of his new book and other things I should not say, and uh, yeah, thanks to Chris, he set us up with our uh, special guest for this week. And this week we've got vocalist Mark Hunter and guitarist Rob Arnold from Cleveland's Metal Monsters Chimera. Uh, Rob also played for a few years with Death and Roll Heavyweight Six Feet Under, and I uh, had a really good discussion with these guys. You know, we started uh, we started out talking about the birth of the groove metal genre at the onset of the '90s. Uh, that was launched primarily based on the release of the iconic Cowboys from Hell from Pantera. And then, of course, Mark and Rob share with us uh, just, you know, some of their experiences as being part, of, a major part, uh, of the new wave of American heavy metal movement uh, that took off in the early 2000s. And, uh, yeah, major thanks to both Mark and Rob for coming on. And uh, we had some technical difficulties during the introduction of the podcast, so we're going to start off right here at the beginning of the discussion, and uh, yeah, here we go. Episode number 56 with vocalist Mark Hunter and guitarist Rob Arnold from Chimera. All right, cool. So I guess we'll get started. Uh, so yeah, I mean, me and you know, me and Chris, we've been talking about you know doing this episode a few months back. Uh, you know, we started messaging back and forth a lot about the hardcore bands we liked in the uh, early 90s, and you know, kind of when... Hardcore slowed down a bit, and you had more of a you know had more of a groove to it, and really just metal as a whole did exactly the same. And you know the eighties, especially the latter part of the decade, it was all about speed, and you know that went for both hardcore and thrash. And then when the nineties hit, you know bands continued to use many you know the same elements from uh, the classic heavy metal and thrash, but definitely with more of a focus on heaviness than speed. And you know the main ingredient being more of a you know mid tempo riffs. Uh, that were kind of influenced from thrash, you know, vocally too, there was much different, you know, uh, the, the lyrically, you know, they address more of a personal inner struggles and social challenges, you know, rather than it being maybe political or horror or gory based type of lyrical themes. And, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, so the music too was more of a head bobbing than head banging. And, uh, so, you know, of course it has been widely accepted, like over the years that, you know, Pantera and Cowboys from Hell, they're the ones that spearheaded the genre, which, you know, I, I totally agree with. And, you know, you could definitely argue many bands before that. Uh, many of the thrash and crossover bands like, you know, Anthrax, X-Order, Suicidal, Sacred Reich, you know, a lot of those, you can argue those bands and a few others really signified that groove metal genre a little bit because they did incorporate that sound into the music, but not really to the point where it took over the overall bass or core of the sound of music like Pantera's did, you know, and obviously this goes for uh, hardcore too back in the early 90s, you know, the term beat down or heavy hardcore 
was frequently used to kind of dis- distinguish between that type of hardcore and the old school, you know, uh, more hardcore punk sound. And even the early advent of Metalcore too, that label, which to me at the time was really similar to that beat time style. But, you know, obviously it's expanded a lot, you know, over the, the past couple of decades. But so to me, I'd say the three records I really feel kind of kickstarted the transition from speed to groove and metal. And these were all kind of released between 90 and 91 was, of course, Pantera, Cowboys from Hell. The other one, uh, with no doubt, I, I believe would have to be Prongs, Beg to Differ. I mean, that record even came out, I think, a few months prior than uh, Cowboys from Hell. You know, that's... Uh, Prong was, you know, one of those bands, I think they started out as more of a progressive kind of crossover sound they had. And they just kind of simplified their sound. They added some, you know, thrash metal riffs to the mix and slowed down the tempo. And then uh, to me, that record was right there with Cowboys from Hell on the groove side. And of course, the third one that I feel, you know, kind of, you know, this one came out about a year later. Uh, and it was another band that came from that crossover scene. And it, it kind of put them on the groove metal map, although their sound now or over the years has been more linked with the stoner seed and that's coc with their album blind uh i really think you know you listen to like great purification a bunch of songs on that album so groovy and everything and uh you know so many people sleep on that album uh on its influences but uh so we'll get to you guys uh let's get your take on this uh we'll, we'll start with you rob what, what's your take on that you know groovier sound that kind of started around 90 and 91 time frame well, I'd say I came into it probably or started realizing it really on like vulgar display of power and then and then went back, of course. But um, just around that time for me, Sepultura, Pantera and even the Slayer stuff, their transition, you know, from from thrash into that groove, even like, you know, dun, 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 undeniable there. Um, so I think they're a great kind of kind of crossover that bridge that gap into the stuff that i'm talking about there with uh arise and ksed and stuff but kind of before that i gotta say i'm i'm not super familiar i was never i never really got into prong or sacred reich uh so i i missed i missed that boat um but really got into it kind of into the into the mid 90s and yeah of course pantera is just the first one that comes to mind and they're just their undeniable groove and the inspiration we drew from them as well uh again undeniable totally so, uh, Mark, what about you? Which uh, were, were you uh, like, like Rob? Were you, were you into this kind of music uh, in that time, or did you kind of get into it later on as well? I'm, a, <clears throat> I'm an early bloomer with uh, most things metal. I've been listening since '86, uh, so I kind of watched some of the transitions happen in real time. Um, obviously, I remember Pantera coming out and. What's weird is I remember like the first thing I heard from them was Cemetery Gates. And if you really listen to that chorus riff, it's not so far off the beaten path from like Call of Cthulhu or something. Mm -hmm. And I just remember thinking like, uh, you know, it was not so far off from Metallica. Um, But it wasn't until like I'd say 93, 94 when you started hearing or maybe even 92, like Vulgar, Chaos AD, um, Machine Head, I think '94. I'd say Machine Head's definitely like mm-hmm. the kings of groove metal, undeniable. Like after Pantera, but uh, yeah, like I, the transition was happening for me in real time. So when you when you mentioned hardcore bands, of course, I gravitated more to the groovier stuff. So I liked it when like a band like Snapcase came onto the scene or Refused. Um, when it's not that I don't appreciate fast stuff or thrash. But I guess I liked it when a band was able to mix the two. So like when Rob references Slayer, yeah, man, I, I like while people and myself included will say, you know, Rain and Blood is 
an essential album. It's far from my favorite because it's it's not nearly as groovy as as they eventually became, which I prefer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool, Chris, chime on in. Yeah, uh, I I certainly agree with what what everybody's saying. Of course, Pantera. You know, Pantera was one. Slayer Seasons in the Abyss was another. But it, you know, it, it was it was more of a at least in my head, it was like a five to six year progression that, that really saw groove kind of take over. Whether if you start with C with, we'll say Pantera, just for the sake of argument, if you start there and you go up machine head, definitely machine head is as thick of a groove as anything that's ever been recorded. But then other bands too, that were maybe not completely groove oriented but still had that sound like a fear factory as an example fear Mm -hmm. factory kind of took it to another level Mm -hmm. you know with integrating kind of the electronics with it and you know especially since we're talking to the chimera guys i would say i would guess that fear factory was probably a big influence in the way their sound developed just because they they integrated both both the groove side of it and the metal side of it and the industrial side, they kind of put a lot of, a lot of stuff in the soup and, and saw what came out. And, you know, um, D manufacturer is, is to me probably the ultimate groove album, even though it is definitely more electronic than any of the ones that we're talking about, just because the way that they integrated all of the elements really puts the hook in your belly and pulls tight, man. So there's a lot of them. And, and certainly I'm, I love, I'm like Mark, I, I watched it all in real time. And, and I think when you're watching it in real time, maybe you don't see it as closely as now when you look back at it, but you know, you, you can definitely point out point backwards in time to, you know, your Metallica's or even, uh, on some level, some Megadeth type of stuff, you know, it all sort of plays into the development that it be, that it became. I mean, it's easy to say, yeah, Pantera, because that's, that's mm-hmm. what everybody chooses, but there's a lot of bands. <clears throat> that and, you know, if, if Pantera would have been the only one that I don't think, then I don't think groove metal would have had much of a life. I mean, people would have loved Pantera and that would have been it. And it, it was really like any like any other style of music or metal. Once somebody does it and somebody does it well, then everybody else adds their own spin to it, and it grows and grows and grows. And I think my personal think thought is that it it just kept on growing. Once f- from Slayer Seasons in the Abyss on up, it just kept developing. It kept growing and kept growing until until you know until obviously these guys certainly. Mm-hmm it and ran with it so it's it's a good it was a good problem to have because i love that fucking style of music man yeah no so do i and you know yeah and the uh, what's interesting is that you know the thing about that that genre you know the especially the inception of it was that a lot of the bands that are considered to be the so for you know the so-called forefathers if you will were they were already a lot of them were already veterans in the metal scene you know for instance the sepultura you know and um you know they were they were from other scenes and genres, like Pantera, for instance, too, right? They were around a while before even Cowboys from Hell uh, came out. They had about two or three albums, and um, and that's what's kind of interesting about the groove metal that the, the the whole genre itself is. You know, unlike most other genres in metal, there wasn't really a scene upon its inception, right? Most of the you know, most genres in general kind of spawned via the scenes and you know mostly geographical in nature, and, and you know they occur occur usually. Within a relatively short amount of time, whereas you know, groove metal was sort of just a, just sort of like a natural change in progression. It kind of came together 
from all over the place and just you know as you just mentioned has expanded you know over decades even obviously you know uh to uh you know chimera in the 2000s and so forth so um that's another interesting about you know groove metal it's like it's just so broad right i mean a lot of times people don't even know really what is what what constitutes a groove metal band or not you know and uh i mean for most people do say like okay you know a lot of it has to do with really the thrash metal elements because a lot of music grooves a lot of metal or hard rock grooves i mean some of the other ones that were around in those early 90s too that really you could kind of say well maybe they had a part in, to play in the whole inception of groove metal was you know a band like even like caius with that first album wretch more punk oriented mm-hmm. but definitely very groovy uh helmets first album strap it on you know, you got bands even like Circus of Power and Fudge Tunnel. These bands were all real groovy around 90, 91 when they started. So it's just kind of interesting that it's really so different than other genres where there's just not really a, you know, it, it wasn't sort of just didn't come up through a scene. How about yeah. the, the the element of groove in, in death metal? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, even uh, Tomb of the Mutilate, Hammer Smash Face specifically, you know, that chorus. You know, even Jim Carrey. Like that one, but then to the bleeding and pierce from within, uh, once upon the cross, domination, you know, all, all that groove in that mid 90s death metal and everything, sure. and what that's bond and that, and that certainly influenced a lot of Chimera stuff. Yeah. So, like, sure. you, you're talking like the like Entombed and Six Feet Under and all that. I, mean, I know you played oh, with yeah. Six Feet Under, obviously, you know, for a couple albums. And uh, so, yeah, they were, no, yeah, it's a great point, too. Yes. I mean, even Obituary, right? They slowed down yep. their sound a lot, too, in the mid 90s there with World of Mize and stuff. And uh, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, and you mentioned Fear Factory. It, when you mentioned Fear Factory influencing uh, our band, the first time I met Rob, we uh, jammed. What was it? The first song on Obsolete, which is Obsolete, is it? I don't mean, I can't make No Shock. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we shock. we jammed, jammed Shock. Uh, you were on drums and I was on guitar in your basement, so we definitely <laughs> had a Fear Factory vibe going on, and. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I'm glad you mentioned Helmet because I definitely heard Helmet's influence across metal. I, I, I more, more or less on Sepultura, like they even like straight up jacked a riff, um, and, and uh, yeah, I thought that was all pretty cool to to see. Like, I remember in the early '90s, music being more of a hybrid of elements. A lot of bands started just merging sounds, and if you mentioned Machine Head. The way they got signed, uh, from what I understand, is before they even had a demo, um, uh, Flynn called Monty Connor or said something like, I'm starting a band that's going to have the groove of Pantera, the bounce of Biohazard, the thrash of Slayer, and uh, was it the the tribalness of like a, a Sepultura, that tribal bounce? So, and if you think back of that first Machine Head, it does have all of those elements. And um, it, it, I just remember it being more of a time that more genres were acceptable. Um, you could get away with uh, alternative sounds, hip-hop sounds. I mean, Slayer and Ice-T were doing music together, Helmet and House of Pain, that whole Judgment Night soundtrack. And that influenced a lot of the groove metal, for me, anyway like i was gravitating towards anything that grooved i uh i wasn't ever really interested in speed and so yeah when rob mentions death metal another thing that i gravitated towards i I didn't care for when they were just doing blast beats all the time like i'm cool with a blast beat but you better slow down and just 
you know, lay the hammer of Thor down with some some heavy shit afterwards. Otherwise, I'm just not going to care. So I think yeah. I really have always gravitated towards Groove. Yeah. And, and, you know, the, the, the interesting thing to go back what you were saying to to what you were saying, Matt, is that is that there really was no there really was no definitive single band that, that developed that sound. Mark just mentioned biohazard. And while biohazard is very different, you know, sounding than the other bands that we're mentioning, certainly the, the chunk and the groove that they had was, was part of the influence. You know, I, I remember seeing what, what probably one of the best shows I've ever seen in my life was on, um, I guess it would have been 94, so that would have been far beyond driven. It was Pantera, Sepultura, and Biohazard at the Richfield Coliseum. And I was there. Uh, yeah, and, mm-hmm. and so you remember, Mark, it was three very different sounding bands, but the audience could not have been more engaged in the show. And it wasn't like anybody was sitting out biohazard and waiting for Sepultura or waiting for Pantera. The, at the time people were so looking for a style or a feel more than just a singular sound that the audience kind of gravitated and, and sucked everybody into everything that was going on. It was a very unique time you know, especially considering that there was not a definitive movement. It's not like you could say, well, this started in Iowa or wherever, wherever mm-hmm. it was. It, it started all over the place and encompassed so many different styles to make one really, really cool style that most metalheads can relate to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's interesting about the, de- the interesting about the definitive movement. I didn't notice a definitive movement, and you can definitely classify this as a groove band. But Corn, like when they jumped on the scene, then you like you knew something new was happening. But they were like the ultimate in blending of of that groove that was going on, and they just put a different spin on it. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, yeah you said yeah, they definitely uh, groove and you know um, new metal. Well, you know, I guess Corn is is always you know lumped into the new metal category. But yeah, they definitely well, both those genres really just they overlap significantly, you know, um, they, you know, and they obviously they both share the same timeline as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, obviously they, they kind of went hand in hand and yes. And then corn obviously, you know, took it, I think to definitely to the next level. Um, at least commercially it did. And, and, you know, Chris, you just mentioned a biohazard, uh, before and that's a, a good point in terms of hardcore, you know, cause hardcore is very similar. It got very groovy in the early nineties there. And you said biohazard really was, uh, one, if not the first, you know, hardcore band to kind of, um, you know, uh, take on that groove and kind of slow things down a bit. Um, but, there, you know, there was mm-hmm. definitely a couple other bands uh, that came out at that time that had that same sort of, you know, that came from the hardcore type of sound that got groovy. Not so much with the thrash elements, but more, um, like I said, more bouncy, just more, more like uh, punk, I guess, uh, based or, or uh, influenced, um, but one, the one band, and you know, I know you guys are very familiar with this band, uh, obviously, um, Integrity. That album, those those who fear tomorrow, that is a yeah. phenomenal album. Oh, that yeah. one of the yep. first, one of the best, I think, hardcore metal mix, you know, albums that you could, you know, I mean, obviously, I think that album really kind of, you know, I'm not, I'm really huge into like genres and what you know created this and that and so forth, but. In terms of like metalcore or whatever you want to call it, that was really the first album I heard that like because it was it had that bounce, but it had a lot of leads. It was so much metal and so much thrash, yet so much hardcore mixed with it. Just sort of the perfect mix that album. I mean, I'm sure you guys grew up you know, seeing those guys a lot, and uh, 
being influenced by them as well. Yeah, absolutely. I was friends with Dwid, and uh, he actually, in an Integrity Dwid Chimera crossover, um, the pressing for our This Present Darkness CD uh, was actually assisted by Dwid, and cool. he helped us get signed to our first independent label. But before that, yeah, I'm a fan, right? And I definitely agree with you that they are the first band I ever heard to have that type of vocal, a hardcore vocal over a metal sound. And it definitely gave me that ultimate inspiration because that's kind of what I was able to do with my voice. And I, and I liked metal more than I liked hardcore. So it was cool to start hearing that kind of stuff being combined. And it, gave, you know, it just helped facilitate uh, my dreams into a reality because I could see it. And not only could I see it, it was in my backyard now. And then I, now I knew the person that was involved in it and could see like, how it became obtainable. Mm-hmm. So without integrity, not only does Camaro not get signed, uh, but I wouldn't have had the um, inspiration and knowledge to even have the audacity to start such a thing or try such a thing. Uh, I, I'm, a pivotal more than an inspiration. Sure. Mm. I, I, I'm curious for, for, for you guys, um, when you guys first put Chimera together, I know it, it came from pieces, parts of other bands and whatnot, but did you have a distinct vision or or was it I mean we're you know we're talking about groove metal and you guys obviously had that but I don't if I remember right you guys didn't necessarily have a well we're going to sound like this as much as you guys just sort of put it together and it sort of formed into what it turned into is that how it really was or did you have a distinct vision once you got all the players in place Definitely not sonically. I mean, Rob can jump in. Uh, but I mean, the only vision I think that we shared right from the get-go uh, was the conversation I had with Hagar that started the band was like, hey, if we're going to do this, we're we're not going to be some like, let's play on weekends band. Let's actually try and go out and get signed and, and take it seriously. So other than that kind of vision, um, you know, sonic visions didn't start happening until way down way later down the road i think it was very organic but rob's you know such an integral songwriter he'd be better at answering that too well my my earliest memory um is that mark and jim lamarca were in a band skip line in the cleveland area and and hagar and and matt devries who ended up being in camera you know um, they were in ascension and those guys were all a little bit older than I was and they were all at the next level you know my band at the time in high school we were playing gigs and stuff but those guys were just doing more and you were probably out of high school now by this time and playing bigger shows and getting on those shows with integrity and you know playing like that huge show at the OD and I was just a kid in the crowd like going like whoa these guys are awesome so when I heard that that Mark and and LaMarca and Hagar from Ascension were putting together this band I remember Oh, okay. One, one last thing. I was in a band with AE, the original bass player of Kamira, and he was a close friend of mine and he had joined this band Kamira and was telling me about it. And I remember being jealous, like, Oh my God, you know, I'm just working at pizza hut here doing nothing now. And AE just joined a band with the guys from Ascension and skip line. Holy shit. And then a couple days, I don't know, maybe it was a couple days, a couple weeks, a couple months later, I get a call just out of the blue from Mark. Hey, we're, uh, we're putting this band together. Do you want to just jam and see what happens or whatever? So 
um, yeah, with I, it, for me, it was just instant. Like I didn't care what was going to be happening. I wanted to be a part of it. Although AE did tell me that they were starting something that was going to be like Deftones ish. And I was just like, all right, that's cool. I like the Deftones, uh, you know. So but mm-hmm. there, yeah, for, again, for me as well, there was there was really no vision or anything. I was just stoked to be on board. But once we started jamming together, it was it was surprisingly metal. Hagar's riffs, I remember, were um, were very metal, and, and the skip line stuff, more Marks type riffs, were also very metal. So I didn't think it had any really Deftones ish stuff. Maybe maybe some of the bounce, um, but um, I don't know. I, I think maybe I just brought a couple of my riffs, and we just started meshing all things together. And um, I don't know, like what the early sound was like. Uh, kind of. Yeah. I don't know, you know. I remember until we got Andals, it wasn't very great. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not, it's not a knock on the old drummer. It's just more or less that it, uh, our original drummer was way more of a hardcore drummer, Jason Gennaro. And he, he didn't even want to consider playing with double bass. And that was just frustrating. Like, cause Mm -hmm. again, both Rob and I bonded over stuff like Fear Factory. And you can't even like, emulate that or jam that for fun if you don't have somebody that that can do that and uh so when andals joined and i was coming from a band with andals we're andals and i were in a high school band so i was used to just double bass whenever i asked for it you know and so go sorry go on mark yeah yeah no exactly and uh so that just led to a creative difference right off the bat because here you have uh all the songwriters now really just want double bass so uh we the earlier stuff, all I recall of it was it just had way more of a hardcore vibe to it, and it wasn't as metal as it eventually became. As, as soon as Andals joined, this present darkness was, uh, in it became in the, the song that it is now. That song didn't even have double bass at first. So if you can imagine that and how different that would sound without any double bass, um, that's what I mean by it not being that great. And, uh, Whereas now it's that's that definitive, you know, first thing that people heard from us and 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 latched onto for all this time. Yeah, Mark, you know, you were saying uh, earlier how you know with with Juid how you know with Integrity, just watching them, it, you know, and and their success, it kind of made you realize, okay, this is attainable for us. We can do this, you know. And me and Chris, we did a we did a podcast last year. Uh, we talked about. Sort of a lot of the challenges a lot of bands within, you know, the the middle of the country kind of faced. If you weren't on a coast and you didn't have all those record labels around you to be able to hear your sound, and it was really up to these bands to kind of tour like crazy in that time frame. And you guys kind of did get signed relatively quick. I mean, um, it only, I think, took you guys a couple of years or two or three years, right, to when you put out your first uh, full length on Roadrunner there. Um, and so, I mean, did you guys, like you said, you, you knew it was attainable. You saw that. You saw you had the potential and that this could be done. How much of a struggle really was it in terms of touring and just getting the ear of, of labels and just getting your demos out there and so forth? Was it really, was it much of a struggle or did it kind of come relatively uh, easy for you guys? I, I wouldn't say that it came relatively easy. And I don't think it was much of a struggle either. Like, I, I don't, I wouldn't say we struggled. We definitely put in our dues. There's a big difference, though, between putting in your, paying your dues and struggling. Um, the thing that worked out for us is timing and innovation and new technology, which would also like wind up being a big thing that hurt us in the end. But if we're talking about the beginning, 
the the reason we got signed quick to our our independent label is because there was something called email and I looked on the back of the integrity CD and saw the email address for the record label and was like, well, what happens if I just email this guy and say, I know the dude from integrity, maybe he'll be interested. So it it was kind of an unprecedented thought process in 1998. Some people weren't even, didn't even fully have email or didn't have websites yet. Right. But it's just more of that like underground thinking and mentality and like, hey, we're all in this scene together. And man, sometimes I just you just just do things. You just have a feeling. And that helped. And when it came to being signed with Roadrunner, interested them getting interested in us was a quick process. But what took a long time was actually getting off of that independent label they had an option for our first full length and didn't want to let us go once we started picking up some steam. And then they also knew they could get Roadrunner, who had lots of money behind them, to pay a handsome reward for us. So that type of negotiation and uh, stuff was was more frustrating and annoying and you know makes you almost want to give up at times. But I, I wouldn't call that like, you know suffering in any way that's just more like paying your dues and like and getting and, and really just getting lucky by utilizing brand new tech and roadrunner got interested in us because we initially caught their eye because of our success on mp3.com you want to talk about going back in time wow well, yeah <laughs> who remembers mp3.com i've so, heard that in a while yeah <laughs> uh, because yeah because we were getting a lot of plays on that that was a new new way for anr people to discover music was just utilizing this new thing called the internet. And uh, that literally is, is what helped us. Like Metallica used Napster against them. We used it for us. Uh, well, they didn't use it against them, but it wound up eventually working against them is what I mean, where it worked for us. Yeah, and You know, and Matt, you probably don't know this. The, I'm sure the guys remember this. He, the one thing that was surprising and, and is a direct result of them using technology to get signed versus the traditional way was in the early days, even in their hometown, even here in Cleveland, Camara was not the biggest band in in Cleveland, you know, by, by a lot, if I had to guess and, you know, don't take this as an insult, I'm just trying to remember how I remember it. You guys were probably the third biggest band metal wise in, in Cleveland behind uh, mushroom head obviously and then uh crip kicker for for that that time when you guys first first got together you know and i think for you guys it was the fact that you use different mediums and not just the hey we're, we're beating our chest because we sold out the odeon and that's how we're we're gonna get signed you know you guys really did you did mp3.com you did farm club you did different things that really were outside of the box. And I think Roadrunner probably saw that you were not just a standard run of the mill band. Yeah. It, it certainly didn't hurt. And I don't even know if I would give us the credit of being the third biggest band, like in Cleveland when, by the time we were signed, I mean, we were lucky. We, we paid our dues at the fantasy a lot. Right. And like none of those shows were, were sold out by any means. And then we had a couple great Peabody shows and then luck, luck brought us to the Odeon. Farm Club brought us to the Odeon, and that did well. And we, we were like, "No way, this will happen again." And it and it did well. So I think like that was the point that like we went from 
you know, struggling to get half the room filled at the fantasy to, to actually being able to sell out the Odeon and the internet was, was a big help. Um, we wouldn't have been able to do that without it. I, I think we started contacting a lot of those, a couple of those bands you mentioned. I remember I was mad at Crypt Kicker because we were a brand new band and I emailed them for a show and I just had like this sense of entitlement. Like, what do you mean first of five? Go fuck yourself. You'll be opening up for us in a month. And that was like how I felt at 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 22 uh <laughs> it wasn't very logical but uh i definitely had an entitlement feeling too behind it um and i, I there was just more attitude than i i ever have now <laughs> i could never i would never say something like that in in 2020 and at 42 years old but at 22 it, it, it's exactly how i felt mm. and you guys you know uh you know when the late 90s came early 2000s obviously when you guys uh, started uh, really taking off, you know, that whole, uh, you know, they, they talk about the whole new wave of American heavy metal, right, with you guys, Lamb of God, Devil Driver, I mean, God forbid, Hatebreed, you know, all, all bands with a lot of groove to them and stuff. Did you guys, were you guys ever like, what, what's your take on being, say, you know, lumped into a, a, like a genre or a particular label like that? Was that something that you were totally fine with or was something that you just didn't want to be kind of pigeonholed into being with like other bands you just want to kind of set out on your own because you guys are definitely i think a lot different than those bands i think there's just more substance to your guys music there's more influences than just you know uh one or two bands you could hear i mean hardcore you could hear so many things so many influences in your guys music death metal you know i mean you can go down the down the line there so was that something that you guys were kind of like trying to shy away from or did you kind of embrace that whole new wave of american heavy metal sort of label personally i, I like the camaraderie amongst all those bands that you mentioned. And mm -hmm. I feel we feel we all kind of had this common goal and we we're all just having a ton of fun trying to do it. And then when that moniker came around new wave of American heavy metal, personally, I didn't think much of it, but I, I wasn't mad at it. You know, I was like, cool. Mm -hmm. If there's something about this, obviously this, this attention to the scene is, is, is helping us. Um, and I just think it, it brought more opportunity our way and, and allowed for a lot of cool touring packages and for us to, play places in the world that perhaps we wouldn't have uh without that so i I'm, I'm glad to have been a part of that and that it that it even happened no no the same boat like I, strength in numbers right like I, on one hand it's bad for us to get lumped into like the new metal scene but on the other hand it's great like some of the new metal bands we toured with they were massive shows and they were pivotal to our career and some of those fans are still around today um so, yeah, it doesn't hurt to be associated with bands that are doing well and or are revered by many fans. Also, it was it was much cooler. Uh, the, the new wave of Amer American heavy metal was much cooler than new metal at that time. It was like the thing that was taking over. So, of course, we wanted mm. to gravitate towards that while we were simultaneously trying to, like, shake the new metalness that, that we had at the beginning, which it is what it is and it's all good and everything, but we were trying to... I think steer in this thrasher direction uh, for for a, a few reasons uh, at the time, and um, so it, it was just cool to be a part of that. Mm -hmm. I I could be very wrong here, but I thought you guys actually coined that phrase, and I remember distinctly Mark coming to do the metal show and giving Matt and I shirts, and that was the first time I ever saw it. Was it was on one of you guys's t-shirts, and if I am I wrong in thinking that you guys actually came up with that term? I don't think you're. I don't think you're wrong at all. I mean, we we did it as a, a, like kind of like a joke at first, where we were on tour, 
And we were actually out with a lot of new metal bands. I might have even started with Kitty's, the Kitty tour we were on. And our, t- our tour manager, a sound man, was a huge Iron Maiden fan. And we were just always putting on Iron Maiden before our set. Anything we could do to be extra metal than the, than the new metal bands that we were out with. Uh, and so we made the, our, our, our laminate, you know, was the Camaro with the Iron Maiden font. And um, we made the shirt. And, of course, uh, being a fan of, of metal, I, I remember getting, like, Venom records and stuff. And it would say, like, New Wave of British Heavy Metal on it. And it kind of had, like, a little tag. So our very first um, single, it's not even a single that, like, you know, we went out to the radio, but more like a CD single that went to radio stations to play our new songs, like Pure Hatred and Power Trip. Uh, It it actually said New Wave of American Heavy Metal Sampler. Hmm. So... I guess when you ask, like, did you ever try to shy away from that? No, but I definitely felt like, I guess, awkward or shitty, whatever word you want to use, when you would see these magazines start utilizing that phrase, but never even include us in it. So then, hmm. you know, it's all of a sudden disturbed and uh, disturbed and uh, trapped are all of a sudden part wow. of the new wave of American heavy metal, <laughs> according to according to Kerrang magazine or something, you know, you'd see these bands that just don't belong. I'm obviously Mm -hmm. being facetious, but the, uh, but that's kind of how it started to feel. And like, we got left out of the mix and yet, you know, we, we started the phrase. So I definitely had a little bit of resentment when uh, a a public, someone in back then anyway, would interview us and be like, so this so-called scene, what do you think of it? What do I think of it? (laughs) <laughs> I don't want to say we invented the scene, but we but we invented the phrase. Uh, but I'm definitely like un- under the same mindset as Rob, where yeah, I mean, if you're lumped into a the same category as good bands like Lamb of God or Killswitch, it doesn't mean we all sound the same, but it means that we're all part of a scene that is r- coming up. We're a new alternative to what's going on and what you're used to, and yeah, we're all we all happen to be from America, so. Yeah, man, that that was a great time to be up and coming. There were so many cool bands. There were a ton of tons of camaraderie, like sharing the stage with those bands. We got to know them really well. I mean, how many shows and tours we did with Killswitch or something? You know, it's it's just a it's good fun and definitely something to be uh, proud of at this point. Mm. Yeah, you know, I guess it must have been pretty tough to sort of shake off that. You know, initially shake off sort of the new metal. Uh, moniker that you might have gotten lumped into just because at that time you had a lot of those Midwest bands, the Mudvanes, the Slipknots, and so forth, Mushroom Heads, all were part of that that you know that scene, that whole scene, that new metal scene, and that was all coming from mostly the Midwest. So I think a lot of times when people would see more of a mid-tempo band coming out of that area, automatically they're just going to go, okay, new metal, boom. I mean, I mean, and you guys, obviously, your earlier stuff had some of those influences, but like it definitely was not, you know, obviously all of that. Was that something, too, that was kind of like, like you mentioned earlier, Mark, you know, being part of that new wave of American heavy metal, you were able to kind of shed that whole new metal thing, and like you said, just not try to... I, I don't think so. That, that was actually Rob that said that, but I agree with him. Uh, the, the, 
the thing I think about new metal is that really wasn't a bad word when we were influenced by it. Like we were influenced, we, like we listened to Corn. We like some Limp Bizkit songs. We like some the, the Sepultura uh, uh, root stuff, which is pr- pr- predominantly new metal. I like Faith No More. Mm-hmm. Um, but that wasn't like such a bad word back then. And it, it, but I we also had a, a a sampler, so that doesn't help our new metal chances either, right? Because they <laughs> they just assume he was a DJ. Um, but it, it started to become a bad word, and I just think that we weren't understood completely. While yes, we like those bands, our heart and our roots lie way more embedded in Metallica or Morbid Angel or uh, even Meshuggah than it ever did Mudvayne. It doesn't mean we don't like Mudvayne or go to their shows or think it's a badass record or even be influenced by it. But that, but it, it, it's like they're like a uh, compared to like where our, you know, our heart and our roots are, are, are found. You know, they're like a budding on the tree, man. But like, you know, Metallica is where we were coming from uh, ultimately. So I think that conscientious turn to get away from that was more about being misunderstood and yeah, of course, uh, it didn't help too that like a lot of the bands we toured with right in that up and coming point, they were getting their success from from heavy radio. So Spine Shank or Nonpoint, and these were some of our even El Nino. These are some of the ba- earlier bands we we played with in the beginning of our career, and that st- sort of stuff bleeds into it as well. Even if it's subconscious, it's like man, you see your friends are doing really well because they have a song on the radio and they're selling three hundred thousand albums like. How does that play into the mix when you're a band that that wants to sound like Morbid Angel? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's like you got to make it work. In hindsight, I think that like kind of just about passed out of existence in that era and what we were doing then, no regrets because that's what we were feeling at the time. And it was also just a collection of everything that had come about from the very inception of our band until it became time to record everything that we had done to make pass out of existence. There was the early EP in there. But um, so we, we, we were writing these songs that, that got us on the road and playing shows and then got us a deal and it came time to record those. And that was that. And we did that. And then I think we were able to just refine from there and see, okay, we've solidified this. We see where our strengths are a little bit more and it's gearing more towards a writing style and a vibe and a feel that made us feel good that became the impossibility of reason type sound, mm-hmm. you know? So it, that would impossibility would have never happened without uh, that experience with pass out and just kind of the natural progression of where our sound was heading. So there wasn't really this thing like, all right, we can't sound like new metal anymore. It was just our feelings were leading us in this direction for what became the impossibility of reason based on our experience from the past two and a half, three years or whatever before that. Mm. You know, the thing is too with, with new metal is also, I think people tend to forget too. A lot of people want, I think, you know, they want to kind of veer away from, from it or become sort of disassociated, you know, around the mid, you know, early two uh, thousands. A lot of it had to do with fashion, right? Because it, it had, there was a, you know, sort of fashion, a certain type of, you know, attire that was, sort of attached to the whole new metal sound, or at least it became that way. Um, and I know of just, you know, so for some other bands I had talked to, they were just saying the same thing. It was more when the fashion influences really started hitting, it was more like, you know, and these were just, you know, like you guys, I didn't really have any of that. You guys were just metalheads um, from, you know, obviously your uh, appearance and everything. But a lot of other, you know, bands, like I said, it was it's so fashion-based, and I think that's another reason why a lot of people... A lot of bands just want to sort of, you know, slowly back themselves away from that moniker. 
Maybe so. Fashion's yeah. interest. Yeah, fashion's interesting in music, right? Like sure. the scene that came up right after us would be fashion core. Like so, you get bands like Eighteen Visions and mm-hmm. and Atreyu and the, the rise of the almost the new the new glam wave, if you will. That's that's still popular now. Um, but yeah, fashion's a really interesting thing. We definitely made a couple weird choices in the earlier career, but I mean, for the most part, we we tried to look like the dudes that uh, you know we're in the crowd a lot of times, <laughs> but <laughs> we, we definitely, we definitely, you know, had a, had a new metal part, but it, we never got su- super crazy where it became like a long lasting thing or, uh, it, it was just a weird time because there were, you're right. Like everyone was starting to dress different. You all, you didn't want to have like long hair and, and a Slayer shirt on because then you were like out of fashion, but then <laughs> it's just a really bizarre time. And like, mm white dudes had dreadlocks everywhere and visors and but that was also a p- cool in the hardcore scene mm-hmm. like hardcore scene almost dressed like new metal i'd say like late 90s hardcore fashion became new metal and then new metal like became like the hot topic version of of 90s hardcore fashion that's a good point if yeah. that makes sense because mm-hmm. we were yeah we wore big clothes in the 90s right and like mm-hmm. Uh, like skate skaters, like my skateboarding crew, like the bigger the dickies, the better, and that that shit really leaked into um, that that new metal look as well. But it, it just got you know more goth. I, I think like new metal is a, a, a cross between '90s hardcore and goth. The look, anyway, the fashion. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. Well, yeah. let, let, let me let me ask this real quick, guys. Um, for me, it seems like it. You know, while the while the early albums were definitely accepted and, you know, you guys gained a, a, you know, a national, international fan base with it, it always seemed to me like you guys didn't find your true sound until kind of the middle of the of, of you guys' run, whether it be the for me, it's the self-titled and infection and the infection. Those, those two records are just on. There's not a minute of bad music great, on those two albums. records. And I and I play them all the time. For you guys that were going through it at the time, where do you think you found your stride? I don't disagree with the self-titled one, um, the aspect. And that's actually the reason why it's self-titled. Like, I feel even though it wasn't personally my my favorite recording experience, it it was definitely the moment in time where I felt that we had the the best grasp on songwriting and like what we were doing and what we were about. And it became a stride. And that's and that that's even including having to have a new drummer because uh, Kevin Talley was very he he much had already adapted to us by this point and and by playing live with us so it wasn't you know super awkward like having to write with a brand new drummer and, and he came from a similar you know uh, tree branch that we all you know root system that we all came from as well so um, I I felt that that's when we started hitting our stride and. Uh, and resurrection, you know, definitely took us to different directions where we kind of started to experiment a little more. Um, and I wouldn't disagree where uh, infection kind of just jumps right back into doing what we what we what we do best, I guess, uh, and just kind of was a little more efficient and came together really quick. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you on the self-titled comment. Like we were still discovering ourselves on impossibility for sure. And when you guys were uh, when you guys were on Roadrunner, but I'm I'm just curious as to you know how 
they marketed your band because, um, like a lot of bands, you know, Roadrunner would usually kind of focus you know, on two or three bands at a time and really not put too much into a lot of the other bands on the roster, you know, especially, I mean, you guys, I really think, could have taken off, you know, even more than you did. I, it, it just in, in hindsight, for me, I think that Roadrunner was stoked on the success of Impossibility Reason and just wanted kind of more of that. And instead, we took a, a big turn. Um, got deeper and darker with longer songs where they would have just like as you said they were trying to do things with radio they wanted more down agains power trips um, mm-hmm. a little more just to the point wham bam thank you ma'ams and and you know with with the self-titled we just went in a different direction than that and so I think that was kind of off-putting for them and they tolerated it but we still were had a ton of drive and energy and wanted to continue uh, with the force that we we had been experiencing. And so we kind of like hit this wall where they didn't want to promote and push the record the way we knew it needed to to be pushed uh, to, to have any success with it. Um, and so I started kicking and screaming that we need to do some, do something else, maybe go for a different label or something like that. Um, and whether that was the right choice or not, it was, you know, switching up, going to res- uh, Ferret after that for Resurrection was cool and this brand new breath of fresh air and all that. But uh, who knows what it would have been like if we would have just waited it out, maybe made another record with Roadrunner. Don't know. But to me, that's that's kind of, I think, what happened in that in that time period that we just kind of came to a standoff, if you will. Yeah, I think a big thing that hurt us, too, was in the beginning was we actually wound up negotiating a really handsome deal for ourselves. And uh, that was great up front, but it wound up hurting us because by the time we needed, you know, some extra money for that push and that momentum, we had already, you know, drained the well. Mm-hmm. And that was that was disconcerting to find out as well. And so, yeah, our our. I think, though, like my hindsight and I I think I've seen Rob say this before as well, is, man, like what a powerhouse we had behind us and at the prime of it, you know, right at the street teams, what the things they were doing, getting our music out. And they had teams all over the world. You would walk into an office in Germany and there's like 10 people that work there for you. And it was just such an international powerhouse that we only could ever experience through them. And yeah, they, they made us the the household name that metalheads know and give us an ability to have an interview with you guys 20 years later because they, they were such a powerhouse. And Mm -hmm. yeah, we were very upset when the self-titled came out. Uh, When I say bad experience on that album, it, it has a lot to do with all of the disappointment that, that came from it. And I'll never forget the release day. Uh, we were playing in New York City and one of the people at the label said something along the lines of uh, it, it, the album, maybe it just came out or something and it, we had our first week. That, that was what it was. It would have done a lot better first week if, if we would have actually put something behind it. Something along those lines, I'm not quoting it verbatim, but it was just such a demoralizing um, we had just went had one of like the better shows in New York. It's not always an easy crowd, and uh, it, just to come out to have the label basically tell you that, even though we were in the top like fifty or whatever of debut of a you know uh, Billboard top a hundred, and we're some really heavy band with no radio, mm-hmm. 
that you'd think that's a you know that that means you're doing really well and then they basically like oh well it could have done a lot more blah 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 mm-hmm. and it's like you know what fuck off we don't that that was <laughs> one of the straws that broke the camel on my back where you know addressing the label had to happen uh, at some point and mm-hmm. just never you just don't shake something like that off like that's just a shitty comment and uh yeah and when you say that they they put in this stuff into other bands of course they do uh that's a smart business decision on their behalf but what happens is it's kind of cool two things happen you you have a band like us that sees all this and you're like well where's our awesome bus or where's our push or how come these guys can afford three techs uh yet they're on the same label or how come they're playing above us but they don't have nearly as many record sales that kind of stuff like demoralizes you but it also lights a fire under your ass right like mm-hmm. no we're you know that that old the most classic metal line we're not going to take it uh <laughs> <laughs> you know that really that really that really strikes a nerve man and uh but you know again like you can't look back at it and be like, well, they didn't do anything for the band because that would be asinine. Like we had so much behind us and it just, the well ran dry and yeah, it doesn't help to not have like quote unquote pushable music, but the single nothing remains was doing well, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's not like it was uh, such a weird album that we alienated our fans. Like that's, that's still arguably one of our biggest songs. So Mm -hmm. um, it was just a demoralizing time. Sure. You know, yeah. I'd, I'll, I'll speak on this from the other side, from the radio side of it. And throughout Chimera's run, you guys never seem to get the same push from Roadrunner. And, you know, I had really good relationships with Roadrunner, with with Monty and with Maria Gonzalez and with with several people at Roadrunner. I had really good relationships with them. And, and, I'll, and I'll be honest, I'm sitting in this in my little room right now and on my wall is a Soulfly poster that the that the label sent to me. And in the entire time that you guys were on Roadrunner, I never got a poster. I never got CDs. In fact, we always had to go to Roadrunner to get to do something with you guys, you know, and, and Mark, you know this, a lot of the time it'd be more my, my co-host than Matt than me, but Matt would just reach out to you and say, Hey, come in and promote, you know, they, it certainly, if we wanted to do anything with Slipknot or Soulfly or Sepultura or it, those were easy though, because they were the big bands on, on the label. But it it always felt like even the smaller bands on the label that were not doing as much as you guys were, they might have been selling more because they had singles, but but they weren't doing as much touring and they weren't playing as much and they weren't building as much as hardcore of a following. Bands like Il Nino, bands like Spineshank, love those bands, but they certainly didn't seem to have the passionate fan base that you guys did and we could do anything with those bands. And it, it was like, we could never get label support to do uh, whatever to, you know, have you guys come in and play in the studio or, or something, something where you guys would have got paid and the record company would have gotten something out of it. And this radio station would have gotten out of it. And it, it was frustrating because we were all friends, but it, it just really was a difficult for whatever reason it just never felt like they had the pinpoint focus that they had on basically everybody else at the time again that's just me speaking from the outside but that's how it really felt 
You see what Mark said about Thanks the moral I think I'm, I'm pissed off. Yeah, here. exactly. Oh, 15 years later. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's going to say, like, thanks for ruining my day. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, uh, man. Yeah. yeah I, I, of course, like, we we felt it. We knew it was going on. But if anything, it, it, it drove us to try harder. Um, so I guess that would be the best thing that came out of it. Like, Power Trip exists because Monty Connor didn't wasn't feeling the initial batch of demos and that like oh yeah fuck your power trip <laughs> it was more like that shit exists because of that man like it, so on one hand it sucks but on another hand it, it uh forced some 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 great creativity from the band on all fronts whether it be music writing or business decisions our era on ferret was was the best era uh while roadrunner put us on 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 the map we really got to shine and do the best things of our career during the tenure with ferret we played the biggest shows the biggest tours had the best uh record sales even while it was declining um uh so not the best record sales but uh because the possibility reasons are highest but resurrection's the second highest so uh it definitely had a a we had a great run with them and, and they put a lot of passion into the band and actually you felt it right. Like, uh, where it, it felt new and, and, and good. But then of course, you know, they had problems right as infection was coming out and they were about to get bought out and all this shit. So, and I think that happened with roadrunner. If you look back at pass out, they went through the Island Def jam merger and all of that. Sure. And our record got delayed a good few months and because of that, it hurt our career because the album had leaked and then we were not getting the best response about it online. And then that stuff starts to spread like wildfire. And we know now that the Internet voices are a few. But back then you start reading stuff on a message board. You think that's the collective. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like Roadrunner can read read one comment on the PRP board and assume that our, our record is nobody's going to like it and uh, not saying that they did that, but it's almost like how it felt where they would believe the, the hype uh, of the Internet. It, it, they certainly believed it to sign us. So why wouldn't they believe it to not invest more in us? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And well, at least and you said you mentioned Ferret Music. I mean, that you guys were on that label. I guess the good thing, too, when you, when you go to a label like Ferret, the, that label was owned by a musician himself, right? Carl Severson was... Uh, I believe a vocalist yep. with his own band, so I think it helps a lot if you're on a yeah if you're on a obviously a an independent label whose label owner is a musician you know him or herself that's that actually you know will go a lot we, like you said you'll see more passion involved I think in just the inner, inner workings within the uh, the company itself but um but yeah ferret was definitely a, a great label at that time uh, period in the mid two thousands there. Um, so the, these days, guys, what? Uh, um, so musically, I mean, uh, Rob, are you doing anything musically? I know you've got your uh, Rob Arnold's world online. Uh, tell us about what's going on with you. Uh, yeah, basically, I just uh, got into that world. Um, uh, I just like uh, kind of broadcasting in an informative manner and uh, just answering questions that people want to know about the band, kind of like we're doing right here, um, you know, and cool. I, I just see how much people are enjoying just hearing hearing some riffs and um just hearing the stories and seeing guitars and seeing inside a studio and gear and all that kind of stuff. And I just kind of started rolling with it, planting this little seed and it's, uh, it's, it's sprouting, you know? So, yeah. um, yeah, just having fun with it and writing this out and seeing, seeing what it could be. It's like, um, 
the Wild West in, in, in terms of all this, and I just, I'm st- trying to stake a little claim. So, nice. yeah, just having fun. Very cool, very cool. And, Mark, I know you're, you've been doing your, your photography. Um, how's that going, everything with your photography business? I don't know that I'll have one uh, anymore after, after this uh, quarantine. Uh, I don't know when this is, you know, but this is, it's, it's been extremely uh, rough for me because uh, basically all of my clients are either canceling or like weddings are pushed back now until late October where you're expecting a, a big influx of money that's now just disappearing by, as, as the days go by. So that's always uh, fun to deal with. So I've actually picked up a guitar and a keyboard and I'm just, trying to nothing serious just having fun learning how to be an old man using computer programs and put down some tunes here and there whatever i'm feeling but it helps to pass the time and uh, not you know just be stuck on twitter reading about how much more china is lying to us and stuff like that so <laughs> i could probably do something better with my time <laughs> So where's what should people find? You guys want to do some plugs? Throw in your um, your information if you want some of your fans and listeners to get a hold of you. Sure, uh, anybody can find me, Rob Arnold, on um, Rob Arnold World, basically on all all the socials, YouTube, um, just whatever whatever it is, just at Rob Arnold World. See what I got going on in the YouTube stuff. I got tons of gear type stuff going on. Like I said, informative talk show type stuff where I'm just telling stories and answering questions. Uh, yeah, just just stuff like that. So check me out on YouTube and. Um, socials and at rob arnold awesome great man and and i'm similar either mark hunter photo or chimera mark and uh twitter you'll see me complain about politics facebook you'll see me post dank memes and instagram (laughs) is usually reserved for for my dog or something (laughs) very cool very cool all right well thanks thank guys so much i really appreciate you guys coming on and um good luck with everything and Hope you don't stay too bored during this whole quarantine thing, man. It's uh, it's quite quite the interesting time as we're in right now. So stay safe and thanks, thanks, everyone. Yeah, stay healthy. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having us. Uh, it was it was a good time, Chris. Good to talk to you again, man. And um, yeah. yeah, cheers, guys. All right. Thanks so much, guys. Yeah. Th- thanks a lot, guys. Take right. care. Take care. Take care. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Shockwave Skull Sessions podcast. Subscribe and listen to all episodes by going to our pages on iTunes, Spreaker, YouTube, Spotify, and more. You can listen to all other episodes and access up-to-date information and news on the Shockwave Skull Sessions podcast by going to our website at www.shockwaveskullsessions.com. Email all comments, questions, and suggestions to shockwaveskullsessions at gmail.com. The days are getting shorter, and you can feel it in the air. Yes, it's that time of year. Pumpkin is finally back at Dunkin'. It's the cozy you've been craving all summer long, now in your cup at Dunkin'. Pick up all of your pumpkin favorites, like the signature pumpkin spice iced latte, or a pumpkin iced coffee, and bakery items like pumpkin donuts and muffins. Sip into something comfortable to celebrate the start of cozy season. Use the Dunkin' app for contactless ordering. America runs on Dunkin'. <sighs> Sorry I'm late, everyone. It's all right. The meeting's just getting started. Are you in your closet? Yeah, it's the quietest place. Ah, not the roomiest, though. Getting closer with your closet these days? That, uh, dinosaur costume behind you? What? No. (laughs) The Container Store's custom closet sale is here to help with up to 25% off closet systems and free virtual in-home closet design. Who wants Sean to put on the dino suit? Really, guys? The Container Store, where space comes from.